you know, everybody kept asking me, like, you know, you seem that this mat is personal to you. First of all, kids being killed at school should be personal to everybody. And I didn't, I didn't feel, I didn't see myself as emotional. When I look back, you can see the anger in my eyes when they were asking me about some of the, some of the things, but I think everybody should be angry. Welcome to season four of Confident with me, Sherry West, and my fearless daughter, Olivia. This season, we'll be talking with some fierce female leaders about things we really care about, including the gender gap and social justice. We hope that these conversations spark your passion and sense of agency to affect positive change. Are you ready? Episode four, things we care about, seeking justice. Welcome, welcome everyone. Hey Liv, I'm so excited for this episode. I have to say it's my personal favorite since starting the Confident Podcast with you back in 2019, before the pandemic. I love it so much because it's the quintessence of what Confident is all about, shining a light on fierce female leaders fighting for things we care about. In today's episode, we interview a lawyer whose contributions are sure to leave an unforgettable mark on today's legal world and influence gun accountability. She also happens to be one of my oldest and dearest friends. You know, I've heard you talk so much about our guest, so it was a true honor to meet her. And personally, I'm so incredibly inspired by her. She's a trailblazing justice seeker fighting for a more peaceful, inclusive, ethical, and just world. Her work has also shown me how you can make a difference in the world through so many different paths in law. Truly, this episode is a masterclass in compassionate leadership. It's what our country needs more than anything. So let's get started. Karen McDonald is an American lawyer and politician currently serving as the prosecuting attorney of Oakland County, Michigan. She has 20 years of legal experience as a judge, an attorney representing children and families, and an assistant prosecutor targeting child sexual assault. Since taking office, she's been seeking justice for trafficking, hate crimes, conviction integrity, racial justice, and juvenile justice reform. And then on November 30th, 2021, her life changed as she was thrust into the national spotlight with the Oxford school shooting. So that's Karen's very impressive formal bio. And personally, I just have to add that I'm especially honored to interview Karen today because she was my best friend growing up in the small town of Portland, Michigan. And along with her twin sister, Kristen, who is also a powerful dynamo, and our dear friend, Kylie, these friends got me through adolescence. In fact, I attribute Karen's fierce and phenomenal self with inspiring me to be my best self. And so, with deep affection, welcome to Confident, Karen. Thank you. That was, um, I usually don't feel emotional during an introduction, but I do feel a little emotional at the moment because it is really, I do a lot of um, interviews and, and um, it's just a real, a real gift that um, we've been in each other's lives for. I mean, I think I met you when you were eight or nine. So a really, really long time. I mean, I can't remember my life without you. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And I think, um, you know, to, to anyone listening who might be younger in terms of under 20, it's the friends that you've known the longest and the ones necessarily, even if they're not friends you've had forever, but sometimes you just meet people and you know, it doesn't matter. You could go 10 days or 10 months 
and you still show up in the same way. Um, and that's like, it's such a gift, like find those people, keep those people, nurture that because it's not, it's, it's rare. It's really rare. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I'd like to say, Karen, that nothing's changed between us because you truly have always been there for me, but there is something important that's changed, which is in preparing for today's interview, I simply had to Google your name <laughs> to find your bio in Wikipedia. So, um, you know, a lot has changed in your life, especially since November 30th of 2021, which we'll be talking about. But let's get into the interview. Yeah. First of all, we like to start off by asking you to tell us something that Google doesn't know about you. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of an introvert and nobody really believes that, but if somebody gives me a choice between going to a social thing and being home and reading a book or just being with one person, I would always choose the latter because even though my, my profession, I'm called upon to be very public and, um, social and with people working with people, lots of times standing in front of a room with a lot of people. Um, and it's not that I dislike that, but I, I'm also a very, um, I'm, I'm somewhat introverted and, and I'm really bad at small talk because <laughs> I am just an intense person. So when you go to social things and parties, like I really have to pump myself up to have um, conversations with people I don't know because I want to talk about real things. And that's not to say like, I, I love meeting new people, but if they don't really want to talk about things that matter to me, it's really hard. And I think a lot of people around me know me for getting getting to the heart of things quickly and, you know, in, in a very short period of time can figure, get somebody to disclose something to, to me that is important to them. And I think it's just because I'm not afraid to ask, you know? Okay. And I think that's on, the, on the more superficial side, I'd say, um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I love, uh, fashion. And so I spend a lot of time on, um, that is my real way to unwind. That doesn't mean anything to anyone, but I, I really, and I think Sherry, you'll test for my entire life. I've always loved clothes and shoes and bags and all of that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it's it's interesting, Karen, and that's one of the many ways in which we're the same. I'm also a social introvert and, people, say, and, sounds, people, and people don't like believe you. me because I'm always on a stage for Live Girl. But if you mm -hmm. give me a Friday night and ask me what recharges my batteries, it's a glass of red wine, some French fries, and maybe one friend, you, Karen, I pick <laughs> <Yeah>. you. <laughs> right, right. I'm great in small groups. And I, I definitely learned, I don't know if it was the pandemic or turning 50 where this really became so clear to me. And now I just kind of follow my heart in that regard. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm definitely the same way. Yeah. And I, I show it on my face. It's terrible. I'll be at parties or something. And like, you look at me and you know, I'm just not having a good time. <laughs> you know? um, unless there's somebody there that I look, really care about, or I'm, inspired by and then I can sit and talk but if it's too loud I mean it just yeah but then there are also I, I I know so many people who have this whole like FOMO thing like well but yeah <laughs> you know I always laugh now you know when you're younger you're like I can't believe I didn't get invited and now if I don't get invited I'm secretly so happy because I don't <laughs> have to think of an excuse not to go um and you gotta I gotta force myself to do that but um and I think being in the public eye now, particularly because of the, the Oxford case, you know, even before that, I was in the public eye. I mean, I, our county is about 1.3 million people. I ran a countywide campaign. You got to be on TV and you're pretty um, well publicized. But 
this is a whole different thing. I mean, when I go out now, I there's a lot of staring, and then there's usually at least one person who approaches me, um, which is awkward, but also has been so moving to me. Um, particularly, there's been a large um, group of young women who have felt uh, very connected to me and what I'm doing. And, um, and those are the, that's the group of, and I don't, I don't mean young. I mean, I mean, anywhere from the age of like 16 to 40 there, I think they're inspired by a woman standing up and saying what she thinks, um, and being authentic, which I think that's a really good word to describe who I am. And I think that came out and and especially the the press conferences following the shooting. Um, And it's interesting, I think just about two weeks ago, I thought we were preparing something for the case and I decided to go back and look at the media around that time. Um, Some of those interviews I don't even remember giving, but I watched some of, I couldn't watch them all, but because it's just too hard. The, The press conference question and answer and you know, everybody kept asking me, like, you know, you seem that this mat is personal to you. Um, and I was really uh, confused by it. First of all, kids being killed at school should be personal to everybody. And I didn't, I didn't feel, I didn't see myself as emotional. When I look back, you can see the anger in my eyes when they were asking me about some of the some of the things, but I think everybody should be angry, you know. And I and I think a lot of times we are told as women don't show emotion; it will somehow show weakness. Um, and then men get like so admired for their 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 courage to, <laughs> to shed a tear in public. Um, so it's just a double standard. But I I really um, have just tried to be myself. That's all I can really do. Yeah, I mean, you are so authentic and you are absolutely mm-hmm. a fierce role model for girls and women everywhere. And sure. I think you just pointed out, I think that's why you you've resonated so loudly with people because you are you are demonstrating these female leadership characteristics, right? The compassion and the authenticity and 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 yes, even the emotion, um, which I think have endeared you in this case, and right and there's so many leadership stereotypes about what leaders should sound like and what they should look like. And most of those line up exactly with a white man, right? But you're out there front and center and leading with these attributes that are just so (laughs) endearing in this case. Um, I think we should talk about the book, kind of the before and after of this case. Yeah. I mean, clearly there seems to be a before and after November 30th, 2021. Before you were, as you mentioned, you you were doing important work seeking justice, but it was more local. It was, you know, quieter. But after your life changed when a 15-year-old boy entered Oxford High School and shot and killed four students, injured seven, and terrorized hundreds, you were thrust into the national spotlight when you announced unprecedented charges against the parents, and you sparked a national conversation on gun accountability. Could you tell us about the strength and conviction that is leading you through this like incredibly tough time? I think the lesson I've learned about all of this, and I wished I had learned it early, earlier, 
um, is to really, really, really trust your instincts. And I can't stress enough, you know, I people will hear this and say, yeah, that makes sense. But I mean, if something feels wrong to you, there's a reason. And if something feels right to you and is pulling and tugging at you, there's a reason. Um, I didn't grow up in a, you know, professionally in a world where I was taught leadership skills. But I immediately learned when I was a judge and I had a staff, and then when I was running for prosecutor, um, and after the election was in November, we, we took office in January, I just read a lot of stuff. <laughs> I mean, I, that's just who I am. Like, I was reading books on leadership, and there's so much out there. You're right. There's so much out there. And what I learned was I'm, I have some natural skills that really can't be taught. But one of the things that's important to me is I have surrounded myself by people who are really, really smart, and they're not afraid to, to tell me that I'm wrong or they don't agree, which I think is, if somebody asked me what was the most important thing about being a leader, that is, in my mind, the most important thing. But when you look at leaders, women, men, I don't care, if they don't have people around them that are as smart or smarter and have a culture where they can be questioned, then they are not who they could be. And the reason I'm talking about that is I, I want collaboration. I listen to a lot of people before I make a final decision. And my preference is that among my close leadership team, we agree. Um, when this case came to us, I immediately asked the question, where did this, where did the shooter get the gun? And each of those questions led to more questions and some of the most egregious facts and events that I just couldn't stand for. And so I kept asking in within 24 hours, what about the parents? What about the parents? You know, and then we uncovered these text messages and, and just the blatant disregard um, and disinterest in doing the responsible thing. And I was met with a lot of um, pushback. Nobody said, I don't want to hold them accountable. A lot of people said, that's just not I think, what we do. There's no precedent for it. But I think the biggest pushback was the timing, the timing on it. Um, and I remember I've never done this before because I really do want people to disagree with me. But I think it was Thursday morning and we announced charges on Friday against the parents. And there was a, about 10 of us in a room and I said, I want to go around and everybody say what their thought is and opinion is about this. And I said, but I want you all to know just to be fair and transparent that no matter what you say, we're charging the parents. And I said, and I know I've never said that before because I haven't. Um, and normally I would be so against that. You know, like you have people around you, you trust and they're saying yellow light, like slow down, I do it. And they were all, I think, really looking out for, for me as well, not wanting to put me myself in a position where it ended up that it wasn't how it looked. And so that was mo much of the comment about it. And finally, I said, okay, I worked really hard to get where I have. And I know that ultimately, no matter what we all do, what you all do in court every day, what anyone in this office does, I have to answer for it. And I said, in the worst case scenario is, we find out some facts that don't make it look like what we know it is. I mean, okay, I don't think that's gonna happen, but let's just say that it does. 
I say I'm wrong. I made a mistake. You can't lead. You can't make decisions based on how's it going to make you look. You have to really be willing to do what you think is right. And, you know, in this case, I campaigned on treating kids like kids. Yep. I charged him as an adult. And I did that because I thought it was the right thing to do. There wasn't enough information for me to say that it was appropriate to, to charge him as a juvenile. Um, so I made, I think, some people on, on one side of the politics not happy. And then there was this charging the parents. And that implicates a lot of people that feel strongly about gun rights. Um, but it was, for me, it was just the right thing to do. And I was willing to take the con accept the consequences if it ended up not being the right thing to do. Here's the thing though, this giant pushback and attack and all of that by any group, it just didn't, it just didn't materialize. And, and I think it's because I stood in front of the nation and said, I don't wanna take guns away. I grew up in a house with guns. I mean, Sherry and I grew up in a very um, rural, community where everyone had guns. Um, the first day of hunting, like there was hardly anybody in class. Um, but that doesn't mean you don't have responsibilities around gun ownership. You know, and, and since then, I just want to say this is so much more than guns. It's just so much more. And I've really spent a lot of time um, in the last two or three months reading and educating myself about how do we stop this? And accessibility to weapons and, and guns are definitely part of it, but there's also a lot more. Right. I just have to, it's so incredible hearing yeah. you kind of walk through this. And on one hand, you say, you know, you didn't have any specific leadership development experience, but on the other hand, it was as if you were almost made for this moment, yeah. right? I mean, you have this very unique background. You started your career first as a teacher, and then you moved into the legal profession. You're the mom of five. And you leaned into your instincts and took some, took a risk, right? There's so much to be learned from that. Um, and truly you were made for this moment in terms of leading the nation forward um, on this case and on this conversation. And I also wanna focus on, you were made for this moment because you were thrust overnight into the national spot media spotlight, right? You were on CNN, you were everywhere. And I have to tell you, Karen, it was so surreal for like two weeks because every time I turn on my TV or my car radio, oh, there's my best friend from Portland, Michigan. Um, yeah, we, imagine and, me like turning on the yeah, TV. And you were, you were flawless. And I just want to ask like, how did you do that? How did you prepare? Because meanwhile, 75% of women say they have a fear of public speaking. And, and what's your advice to young women who want to, but are afraid to speak up like you did? I stopped focusing on myself because it's really not about, it's not about me. And there's a point in my life where I was running marathons a lot, I remember. And I had all these, like, I remember a couple of my friends being like, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. You know, I mean, I try to run a mile and I can't even make it without, without stopping. And I said, I stop and walk all the time. <laughs> like I run 10 miles, but I, I stop and walk all the time. Now, by the way, if you've ever been to a, a marathon, you know, it's 26.2 miles. One of the training techniques, techniques says stop and walk some of like some of at the end of the mile. And so I, I use that as an example because we, we hold ourselves to a, a, a standard of, of perfection. And 
I think it freezes a lot of us. And once I just accepted, you know what? I sometimes stumble. I sometimes don't say the right thing. I'm sometimes not polished. I almost never like the way my hair and skin looks. And I always <laughs> feel like I'm, I look 10 pounds heavier than I am. And I've accepted that that's okay. That's okay. And I expect it. I expect it. You know, I, when, when somebody wants to take a picture of me or put me on um, any kind of media, I just assume I'm not going to like the image. And I always assume that they're not going to pick the thing I would have um, picked to highlight in terms of what I'm going to say. And that's a whole other thing too. You know, I, I'm not going to say I'm not frustrated with the idea that there's this whole other thing people focus on unfortunately first, which is how I look and what I'm wearing. And, um, and then it's just so interesting because if you're not polished looking, they immediately comment on it and that somehow um, neutralizes or diminishes your message. Um, if you're too polished, you're accused of being like, oh, she just loves the camera. So it's just, you can't please anybody. And at the end of the day, you just have to ignore it. Um, for me though, this one was easy. I just kept thinking about all these families and I, I didn't really want to do as much press as I did, um, but I couldn't stand listening to quote commentators talk about how this charge isn't appropriate and I could never prove my case. Um, because they get, they just got it wrong in terms of even the facts of what the law is in Michigan. Um, and so I needed to be transparent and an answer to that. Um, because I'm not doing anybody any good if I'm just charging people with something that I can't prove, or I don't have, um, a strong belief that I can convict on that's not helping anything. So I felt like I had to do that. Um, but it's much harder than you would think. I mean, when, when you have those national media outlets, there's there you're staring into a camera, but you don't see the person asking you the questions. People don't realize that. Um, it's much harder than you think it is. But I honestly, I don't get it. I don't get nervous about that anymore because um, I do it a lot. And I just, my expectations of it, you have to lower your expectations. You just do. It's not going to be perfect. You're not going to love it. Um, and so I, I think that's what really stops a lot of people when they say they're afraid of public speaking. I much prefer to talk to people so I can see their faces in person, you know, um, and also just own the fact that we're held to a much higher standard because, you know, I, I've been prosecuting this case with Mark Keese, who's very, very skilled um, trial lawyer. You know, he walks into court with one of his five suits and that's all he does. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's all he does. And yet I've got to worry about a lot of other things or I don't feel confident. And, and that's, I want to feel confident. Yeah. So that's brilliant yeah. advice, but okay. We have to talk about this whole men, gender focus on clothing more. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, the amount of people like with the many press, uh, as you were speaking about with the many press conferences and everything and people commenting on your clothes and the, it just seems crazy like when this case is going on and people are focusing on what you're wearing mm -hmm. and you're right like women are held to this much higher standard so what is your advice to girls everywhere when confronted with this probably advice that you don't think i'm going to give which is if you don't want this 
to be part of our stories, then stop contributing to it. Stop doing it. Because if you, I'm guilty of it, you know, if you don't want to be judged on the way you look, then stop commenting and noticing how other women look. If you don't want to be held to the standard that you have to be a certain size or your hair has to be a certain way, then stop ruminating and focusing on it. You know, and, and we, we, we have, a, you know, our brains are structured in a way that we can change our thinking. And we, we have to stop doing that. Now, I don't know because I don't, um, if anyone's ever in a situation where they're being highlighted and there's all these comments, don't, don't ever read the comments. I don't ever read the comments, but my family members too, and people that are on my team do. And I haven't, but I would be really interested in knowing the gender of the people making those comments. And one thing that I think has really surprised me is I'm 51 and I'm now in a position where I feel like I can mentor young women and they're inspired by me. But I'm just going to tell you the truth. For years and years and years and years, women were the problem. Um, and so if, if we don't want to be judged like that, then stop trying to tear people down. Stop trying to tear women down that, that threaten you for some reason and catch yourself. It's a natural thing to feel this jealousy or feeling threatened and we, we're human beings, we compare, but we can also stop for a moment and say, well, hang on, why do I feel that way about her? Um, and I know, I know, Olivia, your mom's going to tell you if she's being honest, the same thing, you know, if the better you are, the more you, you achieve or stand out, you attract this toxic element. And oftentimes it's other women. And so if we want to stop that, we have to stop being a part of it, you know, stop noticing things like that. Or if you do stop yourself before you vocalize it, particularly in a public way. And, you know, we are our own worst enemies. And um, I had to get to a place where I don't care. I just, I don't care. I, I don't know who said it, but it's whatever your opinion of me is none of my business or it's, it's not it. Um, right. Because if you let that get to you, then you're giving somebody else so much power, but I'm not here to say it's not challenging. I mean, it, it it's hard when I hear it, when I see it, it's just like, Oh man, you know, uh, I tried. I mean, I, I thought that was a nice thing to wear, um, but it's just you're not gonna you're not gonna please everybody, and the motives are are hardly ever pure, you know. Yeah, I mean, that, those are all very fair points, and I agree. We need more sisterhood. We need more yeah. women empowering women and pulling up pulling Maybe up a chair for yeah. another young woman at the table. Um, I have one more question before we let, let you go. This is truly an unprecedented case. And you've said recently, there is no roadmap for what you're doing. There, there are no protocols. Um, and you are truly defining what a trailblazer and what a leader is. And can you just talk just a little bit about, about how, you, how you keep going? Like what keeps you going? It's a lot of pressure when you realize that you're doing something that hasn't done, been done exactly the way we're doing it. Um, but I surround myself, I try to surround myself with a very small group of people who bring me joy. 
and I, I and make me laugh. I mean, I think that's really, really important. Um, and I, I also wanted to say, I wish somebody had said this to me. Maybe I wouldn't have believed it, but life is really hard. And there's not, you're never going to get to this point where you you're you're there, you've done it, you know. And I I've almost surprised myself that I feel like I've just begun to do the thing I was meant to do, and I'm 51 years old. And I and it's challenging and it's really hard, but we we tend as we're growing up and thinking that things the way they are now is 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 somehow permanent. Like the thing you want now is somehow going to be the thing you want a year from now or 10 years from now. And it just isn't. And maybe the thing that you feel like you're not suited for now, you might feel completely different in, in 10 years because we learn and we grow. And particularly when we're raising children and they're young and they're, you know, I, I see these women around me and I'm just like, just so you know, this is really hard. What you're doing is super hard and it gets better. But um, one of the things too, um, I've been reading a lot about trying to stop and what goes into a mass shooter. And um, there's a, a woman who you should definitely know about um, and her name is Jillian Peterson and she is a PhD and she's written a book with her research. She co-authored a book called The Violence Project and they've done a database of all these public um, mass shooters and how we got here. But uh, so I read the book within a couple days because I just needed to know more. Um, and in the acknowledgement section, she and her co-author are thanking their family members. And the, the line that really struck me, which isn't even the substantive book, it's in the acknowledgements, but it said, to our incredible children, we do this work for you to help build the safe and compassionate world we want you to live in. May you always ask the hard questions and see the humanity in others. And I'm just so moved by that because if somebody asked me like what I, how I live my life, that's what I want. I want to always ask the hard questions, but always to see the humanity in others. And those two things, it turns out if you're gonna do both of those things, it's really, really hard, but it's possible. Uh, I just want to say, Karen, I'm in awe of you, my Me friend. Um, you are doing the hard work. You are making such a difference. Keep going. I mean, we're all cheering you on. I'm just so, I'm just, I'm, I'm in awe, honestly. Well, I appreciate that. But um, yeah, the only thing you can let me do is say for a moment that when I was getting ready to do this, I was talking to my assistant and I said, you know, Sherry's my best friend growing up and um and she said yes I know that and I said but she's also one of the smartest people I've ever met yeah you really are and um you have always just shined so bright and I think that's probably why we why we found each other thank goodness we did all right we need yeah, to I was just like yours are so cute I feel like you're gonna go back and forth forever <laughs> But, but we need, need to end yeah. on a lighter note. So. Yeah, and we like to end our podcast with just a couple of fun questions for our audience okay. to get to know you better. Um, the first one is kind of a fill in the blank. My mantra is dot, dot, dot. Um, you know, I, I, think, I think what I just read really, just um, 
you can you can be tough and and strong and and still love and feel compassion. You can you can do both, and that's what I try to do. Okay, what's your favorite 1980s artist <laughs> or song or some <laughs> favorite from the 80s? Portland High School. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually defer and say that um, I Sherry Fish West and her <laughs> obsession with Prince was like so over the top and extra that I don't think you really even know. You secretly <laughs> loved him too. Know. I heard <laughs> stories, but. Um, like, okay, you're right. Who didn't love Prince? He was amazing. But um, I remember she gave her, um, she gave a speech during our graduation because of course she was like number one in our class or number two or whatever. Um, and I remember going up and being like, okay, good luck. And I looked down and she's got like this picture of Prince, like pasted on note cards. And she's just going to look at him for inspiration while she's giving her graduation speech. That's so weird. That's amazing. Not, I did not get permission to tell that story. <laughs> okay, last question. What are you obsessed with right now? Speaking of obsession. <laughs> um, I probably am going to say obsessed is a strong word, but I um, I really like fashion blogs. Like I read them honestly, like all the time. My husband's always like, what are you doing? Are you shopping? And like, well, first of all, I don't buy all these things. I do buy some of them, but it's the same amount of time you spend looking at sports scores. You know, I just, um, I think that uh, I'm just at a space in my life where it's just a very creative expression for me, along with writing and reading, of course, but it also just doesn't mean anything. You know what I mean? It's just something I like to do. Um, and so, yeah, I guess that's what I would say I was obsessed with to the extent well, I have the time to be obsessed with. You're mm -hmm. definitely allowed with all the hard work you're yeah. putting in. <laughs> yeah. So, Karen McDonald, we're in awe of you. Thank you for taking the time and talking to us. There's so many, like, I'm going to re-listen to this conversation because <laughs> yeah. there's so many leadership lessons to be learned here for the girls and women in our community. And I'm grateful to you and keep going. Likewise. Thanks for having me.